after, uh, and there is a film and some colouring to do. And if you could be turning back in your Bibles to page 218 to begin with, I'm going to start by reading actually the last two verses of Joshua chapter 4 from verse 22. Uh, This is what the Israelites were to say to their children and their children's children when they asked about what happened. Verse 22, tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Let me lead us in a prayer. Gracious Father, we ask that you would speak to us now and show us more of your power. Show us more from this passage and lead us that we would fear you and see you as you truly are. Amen. Amen. So, this morning, I want to start by talking about that feeling that some people have, even some Christians have, that God has just left them to it. Just left them on their own. That, that he doesn't care and he isn't watching over them. Some people feel that way. They feel perhaps even that he couldn't help them. Or maybe if he could, that he just doesn't want to. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Or perhaps thought that way. I don't think it's that uncommon. And I think in some ways it's easy to understand why people might feel that or think that. So one reason might be human suffering. The Bible says, sadly, that Christians, like everyone else, should expect times of suffering in their lives, part of normal human experience. We shouldn't expect to avoid it. And yet somehow, that doesn't seem to help. Uh, When we suffer, or someone who we love suffers, we call out to God for help. We ask him to stop, or to change it, or to alleviate it. If then he doesn't, perhaps we think he can't, or he doesn't care. Another reason people might feel cut up from God is that we can't see God. You see, even with people, sometimes there are things that are so significant, so important, so big, that writing a letter or even calling them up on the phone isn't good enough. You've got to go there in person. You've got to see them face to face. And all of us at times will face moments like that. And yet with the Lord... We don't see him face to face. And I think that leads some people to struggle, to feel like he's not there, or he doesn't care. He doesn't come in those moments and see me face to face, perhaps like a member of my family would do. But you know what? Those feelings, uh, they're not new feelings. If you feel that way, then you're not the first person to ever feel that way. And God has something to say to you this morning, here, in church. If you feel that way, and actually you look around you in church, and you look at all these wonderfully good-looking people uh, who gather together with us in the morning, and you see people who you think, they just seem so close to the Lord. They seem to have such a strong faith. They trust him so much. I'm not like that. 
Perhaps it's because he is close to them and he's just not that close to me. I think some people can feel that way. Well, if you feel that way, again, God has something to say to you this morning. In these chapters of Joshua, fantastic chapters, the people come to trust God just as much as Joshua does, that great leader, the one who saw God so closely and nearly. In fact, these chapters are something of a transition moment as God shows his power and his tender care towards normal, everyday followers of God. And they trust him. And no longer is it about one really godly person leading God's people, Joshua, but now all the people know that God is with them and he cares for them. And they're going to need to trust him and follow him, particularly given what's coming up. So you might remember uh, this map that was going to pop up on the screen behind me. You'll remember that the people were on the right-hand side of the Jordan. They were waiting to cross over to take possession of the land. Gad, Manasseh and, um, uh, and Reuben already have their land on the right-hand side of the Jordan. But they've promised their fighting men will go with the rest of their people to help to take the promised land. Actually, they cross over first, and they have that most dangerous position of being the first into battle. Last week, we heard about how some spies were sent out, and particularly they went to Jericho, and they came back with good news. The people there knew that God was giving the land to God's people. We heard about Rahab, a great example of faith, And an example that anyone can join God's people. She was a Gentile and a prostitute, and yet she was included into God's people. And after hearing back the report from the spies, well, God's people now have moved, and you should be able to see um, that first arrow moves to the Israelite camp right on the banks of the River Jordan. They They were trusting God, they were excited, they were ready to cross over, but there in front of them was a wide river in flood. And they learn a number of lessons from these amazing events. And the first one for them to learn, and for us to learn, is this. God is awesomely powerful. God is awesomely powerful. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the films of God doing this and special effects. There are a couple of uh, screenshots. I couldn't get a movie clip, but here are some screenshots of them. Uh, (laughs) Throughout the ages, the the, um, special effects got slightly better. The one in the bottom left corner there was actually uh, water flowing across jelly was the special effect that they used to create the image that this is the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, And the top couple are from Exodus, gods and kings, with full-on computer-generated special effects. Terrifying, as we see God there used uh, a a sort of a hurricane to, to part the Red Sea for his people to walk across. And I hope, actually, that even without those kind of special effects, we would be able to appreciate how completely awesome what God did to allow his people to cross over the river was. And actually, in our chapter, for Joshua now, not Moses, God does dry up the river Jordan to allow them to cross. But we shouldn't picture, actually, what those pictures showed in our minds. Because if we read the passage, as I'm going to make us look in a moment, you'll see it's not that they walk through with walls of water either side of them. That's not what's described. So have a look down at verse 15. Let's see what happens. Verse 15. 
Now the Jordan is at flood stage during, uh, all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, verse 16, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heat a great distance away. So we are to imagine it a bit like a dam, I guess, which is easy to remember because the passage continues, this happened at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethen. Skip on to verse 17. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So it's not that they're walking through a, a passageway, or maybe you should imagine it really narrow, like the aisle here down the middle of the church, with walls of water either side. No, far away, the water stops and piles up a bit like a dam. Um, now, that is not to, to say this is any less miraculous. That is not to make us think, oh, well, you know, that was easier <laughs> for the Lord. It's still the Jordan River in flood. For what happens is they get to the water's edge and the priests take their their first step into the the water and it just kind of stops flowing and piles up, uh, I guess, a couple of miles away. You need to remember, there are no bridges in their time. It wasn't a question that God has saved them a little bit of a detour and they could have walked upstream a little bit and crossed by on a nice big steel suspension bridge. No, crossing rivers then was hard. Especially wide ones, and especially ones during flood. But we're to picture them uh, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, that symbol of God's presence. And once they get to the river, it, it dries up and stops flowing. This was a truly powerful miracle. This was something that the people of God were not going to easily forget. Something that they, shouldn't, they didn't explain away, and we mustn't explain away through coincidence or certain weather conditions. No, God did an amazing miracle. And it shouldn't be a huge surprise, because God is an incredibly powerful God. So I want to just pause for a moment and address the issue of miracles. Because the Bible talks about miracles uh, quite a lot, and especially in the life of Jesus, very importantly so. And I think many people these days simply find miracles unbelievable. And they'll discount them as uh, either untrue or gross exaggeration that's got carried away over time. But I want to point out, if you perhaps think that way, or perhaps your friends think that way, That the Bible does not claim that miracles are normal. At no point do you find it claiming that this happens all the time. So you might hear Christians talking about them. Talking about water into wine. Or Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a small pack lunch. But Christians don't think that those things happen every day. They don't go to the supermarket and buy Evian instead of Merlot. And take it home and think, oh I've saved loads of money. I can turn this into the wine for later. No, Christians... And the Bible think that these things are extraordinary. But still, some people will say, oh, well, it couldn't have happened because it breaks the laws of nature. Well, to answer that objection, I'm going to read a paragraph from Oxford professor John Lennox. He writes this. What, after all, are the laws of nature? They are our descriptions of what normally happens, and they enable us to predict what will happen if no one intervenes. 
However, God is not bound by the laws that he has built. Imagine I put £100 in my bedside drawer last night, and I put another £100 in tonight. The laws of maths say that I now have £200 in the drawer. If I come and open the drawer tomorrow morning and find there's only £50 there, what do I conclude? That the laws of maths have been broken? Or the laws of England? (laughs) Clearly the laws of England. How do I know that? Well, I know the laws of maths, and they have not been broken. That is what tells me that a thief has come in from outside. Similarly, when a genuine miracle takes place, it's the laws of nature that alert us to the fact that this is a miracle. If we did not know the laws, we should never recognize a miracle if we saw one. Science, therefore, cannot rule out a miracle. In fact, it helps us to identify one. Does that make sense? What he's saying is that people who don't believe in miracles, who won't believe in them, who won't believe in God, well, they've already decided. They will not accept a God who is able to intervene in this world, in his world. They won't even allow the possibility. And I find this quite interesting. We learn in the next chapter of Joshua that there were some witnesses, some non-Israelite witnesses who saw this happen. And they run back and they tell the Amorite kings about it. And they are terrified. There were non-Israelite witnesses to this. So why did God do this in such a miraculous way? Was this all only about getting his people through the river? Well, no. Actually, there are a couple of verses which make it clear. God wanted people to trust Joshua just as much as they trusted Moses. So he does the same miracle through Joshua that he did through Moses. He wants the people to follow Joshua as their leader. He also wants the people to know how powerful he, God, is and to fear him. That's the very final verse of chapter 4, which I read at the beginning. God did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So Joshua wants people to look back on this day for years to come. He wants us to look back on this day, thousands of years later, and to know how powerful God is. Joshua at no point expects God to do this kind of thing every day, but he does expect God's people to remember it and to know how powerful God is because of this one event. Always to remember it and to remember that God is wonderfully powerful. So, is that how you think about God? Is that how you view him? Do you remember that he is a God who is that powerful? Not only did God create the earth with its mountains, its rivers, its deserts and its cities, not only did he create the universe with the stars in the sky, but he continues to control all of it. He's able to intervene at any point he wishes. He is wonderfully powerful. Is that how you think of God? You see, God knows that we're forgetful. Joshua knew that the people were forgetful too. And though God doesn't do this sort of thing every day, in fact, as far as I'm aware, he's only ever done it twice, ever, it is written down so that we would know God, know what he's like, and that we would think about him in the right way, that we would know he's awesomely powerful. 
Now that, that is the most important thing for us to remember, to learn from this passage. And if you have one image in your head as you remember what we've looked at and heard read and studied this morning, I want you to go out with that image of God's people walking through on dry ground with the waters separated and, and completely safe. But I'm going to very briefly point out a few other things. The second one is this. God is wonderfully holy. God is wonderfully holy. And I think this is quite an important point because, uh, if you think back to what I said at the beginning, this actually explains why we can't see God face to face. I talked about how you might feel far from God. Well, this explains why we can't see him face to face. You see, the problem is, if God appeared right now before us, if we saw him, then we would die. And even in the midst of this incredible moment, as he, passes the, crosses, uh, as he parts the Jordan so that they can cross through, even here, there needs to be distance between a holy God and his people. Look at verse 4 of chapter 3. Halfway through, Joshua commands them, but keep a distance. Keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Now, 2,000 cubits, I'm told, is by about 900 metres. And if you hadn't picked that up or thought about it, actually that might seem a little funny. Why do they need to keep away? Surely at this wonderful moment, God would want his people near him, close. The ark symbolised his presence. Then in verse 5, they're told they need to consecrate themselves, a symbolic purification. Well, even here, even now, there is a tension that God is a perfect and pure God. And because of his holiness, a sinful people cannot be near, even his own people. It's a part of the story here, and it's part of the story from the whole of the scriptures. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when the people, uh, people rejected God, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, we do not see God face to face. And day by day our relationship with him is like that, is not by sight, but by faith. So, in a sense, we are cut off from him. And if that is what causes you to doubt his love for you, or doubt his goodness, well, hear this. The reason is good news. The reason is that God is a holy God, completely pure, completely righteous, and he doesn't allow anything dirty in his presence. He can't, and he won't. It's not even possible. Whatever it is, it needs to be made holy. And that is what he will one day do for us. That's the second thing. Third thing, which ties in with it nicely, the third thing, God looks after his people. We see that again and again throughout this passage. God looks after his people. And it brings balance to that idea of a holy God who we cannot approach. And we see throughout the narrative, God... Uh, cares for his people, he protects his people, he guides them, and we see his love. So firstly, let's see this in verse 3, how he leads his people. Have a look down, uh, chapter 3 and verse 3, and it's always the plan. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 3, says about how he was to go first. The ark went first into the Jordan, and the people were to follow. Verse 4, God says, then you'll know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. Do you see? God is leading them tenderly, guiding them, because they don't know the way. 
Also, God protects them. If you flick over chapter 4, verse 10, he protects them. Chapter 4, verse 10 says this. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses directed, Josh, had directed Joshua. The people hurried over. And as soon as all of them have crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. See, I want you to imagine the scene. Uh, the, the, the priests come through with the ark and they stand in the middle. And the waters part. Then all of God's people pass through. And you can imagine, actually, that some people would be quite scared. The water has stopped, but it's, it's piled up high further upstream. If for some reason it was to suddenly start flowing again, they'd be completely washed away. Some people might be really afraid. And what happens the whole time? Well, the priests and the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence, stands right in the middle. Doesn't move if you like, in the most dangerous part, where it's the, the furthest away from safety, they stand still and they wait. Well, why is that? Well, God stands in the breach. At the most dangerous point, he stays and he protects his people. They are sheltered by him. They're protected by him. Wonderful comfort. Wonderful truths. As the people walk by, they think, God's not going to let the waters come back because the Ark of the Covenant's still right there. God is a God who leads his people, who protects his people. He's also a God who promises to give his people victory. Joshua tells them in in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, you're going to know by what happens now that God will give you the land, that he will certainly drive out the Canaanites, Hivites, Hittites, Perizzites, Gergeshites, and so on. God demonstrates his power here, and they know he'll give them victory Later, the God who helped them cross the Jordan will give them the promised land. Do you see? Throughout, all the way through, we see God is a God who looks after his people. Even though they're, they're sinful and he is holy, they are his people. He looks after them. So if you're one of his people, you can know God will look after you too. Such encouragement. And I hope this will shape how you think about God. This was a really big moment for God's people. After this day, it wasn't just Joshua who truly, truly trusted God. Uh, But I said, uh, it's something of a transition moment. All of the people now, they show their trust in God again and again. Their confidence in him grows. And our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This God is your God. The God who halted the Jordan River in flood... The God who led his people across is your God. So, when it comes to those moments, those difficult moments, when you find it hard to trust God, or you fear that he doesn't care, or that he isn't with you, well, be assured, the reason that you don't see God face to face is because of his holiness. And that is a really good thing. One day, if you trust in Jesus, you will stand before him. You'll be made completely pure because of the cross. And you will see him face to face. But until that day, there's that distance. And that's normal. But it still is true that God guides you. That he protects you. That he leads you. He is 
all-powerful. He can dry up the river, and so he is definitely worth praying to. If you have doubts, if you have fears, talk to him. Ask for his help. He is powerful. He can change things. Friends, we have a powerful God, a great God. So look to him and trust in him. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Gracious Father, we do stand in awe. We praise you for how you lay people across the Jordan. And we praise you that you care for us and lead us. Help us to keep trusting in your goodness and keep knowing your power. Help us to see you as you are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.